Hello and welcome to what I consider the best church in the world, Life Changes Church with the best people in the world. And uh, if you're just logging on now, I want to say this is the best Sunday for you to be online. My name is Gabe Phillips and I am a father, a husband, a pastor, a Taylor Swift fan. And, uh, but today I want to tell you I'm coming into your lives, into your living rooms, into your homes, wherever you're watching this. I'm coming here as a fire starter. I am so pumped up to be with you today. More than usual if we, if we know each other. I'm an energetic man, but today I'm full of passion because I have a word, I believe, directly from heaven for you today, and I believe it's going to change your life. It's already working powerfully in mine, and I believe it's going to do the same for you. Just some context to where we are in our, in our, our preaching series. A few weeks ago, we wrapped up a series called Prisoners of Hope, and it was a powerful reminder that we are not uh, chained to our past, our failures, our shame or our situation, but we are actually anchored and confined and constrained to hope in Jesus. And then last week we had guest speakers. Next week we've got an incredible uh, a speaker and you don't want to miss next week. So it's almost like this, there's this window of opportunity for this Sunday. And I, and I was like a bull in a china shop. I had to get to the pulpit. I was saying, this Sunday, I want this Sunday. I want this one because I want to preach to you today. I've got a fire shut up in my bones. I've got revival reverberating inside of me that wants out. And I want to preach that fire into you today, sir and ma'am. So get ready to receive. And uh, I don't know where you find yourself, but I believe God is going to speak powerfully to you. So with that in mind, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12. It's a text that we've worked and we've mined the last few weeks. And it says this in Zechariah 9 verse 12. It says, return to your stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Return, come back to the, your, your safety, come back to the fortress, come back to the place that is a sure foundation of life and be anchored and imprisoned to this concept of hope powerful. And maybe if you're watching this and you've been watching along with us for a while, you might be going, I thought that series was done. I thought we were done with that. Well, I just want to say, we aren't finished just yet. You see, I believe that if you keep reading, the very next line that follows that, that line is oozing with power for us that I could not just leave it hanging there. I believe it's a promise for God, for you and I at this time, that we need to apprehend and then live and allow to soak into our, the very fiber of who we are. And this is what it says. It says this, return to your stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore to you double, double, Double. This is the promise of God to you and I. And I want to declare with every ounce of who I am right now that actually God isn't out of control. God isn't in recession. He's not running out of miracles, scrambling around heaven saying, I have to ration them out at this time. You know, there's global and economic pan pandemic going on. We got to, let's be, let's be, uh, hold back the reserves, guys. No, no, no. God is not in a panic. He's not stressed out. He's not running out short. His promise still remains where Jesus said in the gospels, I will build my church. He said, I will, not I might, not I maybe, not if conditions are ideal for it. No, he declared, I will build my church, comma, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
I declare that the gates of coronavirus will not prevail. I declare the gates of isolation, the gates of, of social distancing, the gates of recession, of job loss, of fear, of panic, of illness, of disease, of sin, the gates of hell will not prevail against the building of His church. He is doing it, and He's doing it now in this season through you and I, and I am so excited for this. And when He says, I will restore to you double, I will restore to you what the enemy has stolen. He is saying that what the enemy has meant for evil, he will. And this is the promise from heaven to you today. He will turn it for your good. When he says double, he's meaning that actually what the enemy has stolen, what the enemy has taken away from you, what the enemy has robbed from you this time, he will restore 30, 60, and 100 fold. This is the God we serve. And I, why I believe this is that actually it's not a time for us to be settling down, to be backing down to be watered down. No, 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 sir, ma'am. We are a different people, a people with a different disposition, a different response system. And the Bible declares about you and I and Jesus' intent through us. He says this in Ephesians 3.10, now, now through the church, not later, not when the season has passed, not when we're back up on our feet, not when we're meeting together again in person. No, now. Through the church, through you and I, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known. And this is what we're holding on to this time. I want to declare God is not finished yet, and neither are we. Maybe today you're watching and you're feeling betrayed. Betrayed by a spouse, by a boss, by a system, by a promise. Maybe you're watching this and you're confused. You're indifferent. You are discouraged defeated, or even you're feeling like spiritually, you're dead. I want to tell you, this word is for you. Today is a setup for you. I know this why, because the title of my sermon today, but I believe the title of heaven's voice to you today is, I'm not finished yet. We're going to preach this together. We're going to war together today with the word of God. So why don't you type that into the chat right now? If you believe it, even in the slightest, start to stir your faith up. Type it in the chat. I'm not finished yet because I believe God is just beginning his work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of us gathering today around your word, your life-giving word, that you're going to speak a word of power that is right for us now and will raise dead hearts to life. It will comfort broken hearts. It will soften hard hearts. But it will call us to the great call in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father, right now for the spirit of the living God to fill us and awaken us to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, so to set the scene, my case study today to help deliver this message from heaven to you and I is found in, uh, in 1 and 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings. And we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. And uh, you can read it in your own time to get the full gist of it. But we meet this man named Elijah. And Elijah is the man of power for the hour. This is Israel's superstar. This is the prophet who is, uh, is, is a prophet who pours out miracles, who stops the rain from coming. He's the one who, who strikes fear into the political elite of the day. He's the man who calls on fire from heaven. This guy is wild-eyed and full of power and fire. He is a Bear Grylls, Chuck Norris, Dwayne the Rock Johnson combination in one. Elijah. And everybody knows Elijah. But it's come to a time in his life where God is saying it's, it's, you need to give over your authority, your ministry, your mantle to your successor. 
And at this point, that success is unknown, but we are told this man's name is Elisha. Elisha, a man of similar name, but of a very different disposition, it seems, on first, look, first glance. Because when we meet Elisha, when Elijah, the man of power for the hour, meets Elisha, his successor, we meet Elisha plowing in a field behind 12 yoke of oxen in the midday sun, sweating, just doing menial work up and down, up and down, up and down, the same thing again and again, seemingly on the periphery of the excitement, periphery of the adventure, on the sidelines of, of what God has been doing. And as I read that, just something struck a chord in me that maybe as you're watching, you've been feeling like you're on the periphery of life. Life is going at a million miles an hour, good things, bad things, but you're just seem trying to hold your, your nine to five together. You're trying to just hold your family together. You just feel like you're going up and down the lines, waiting for something to maybe break in. I'm speaking to you, stay-at-home moms. I'm speaking to you who's just received your retrenchment papers and trying to know how to fulfill your days and navigate the way forward. I'm talking to you who's taken salary cuts. Those of you who are isolated, who are feeling lonely, those of you who are nursing an injury, an illness, and, and don't know where to turn, you feel you're on the periphery. I want to tell you this today. God knows you. God sees you. And he will not forget his promises. This is the story. Elijah meets Elisha plowing a field on the periphery. And this incredibly bizarre situation gets even more bizarre as Elijah, without saying a word, comes over to Elisha. As Elisha, I can imagine, is in, 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 in mid-stride, just going with cattle everywhere, and it's, it's not smelling ideal probably. And Elisha's trying to wonder, is, is that really who I think it is? And Elijah does this incredible act. Somewhat strange. He takes off his jacket, and he throws it, his cloak over Elisha. Not a word is said, just throws it over Elisha. And I, for me, as a first reader, I thought, wow, was it a cold day? What was going on? No, 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 no. This was something symbolic and powerful that Elisha would have known what was going on. This was a moment where Elijah, in, in essence, is saying, you're going to take over from what I'm doing. You can do what I've been doing. Elijah, in, in, a, in a sense, is saying to him, your future, my boy, is going to look very different from your presence. He's coming and he's putting on his mantle, his authority, his call on Elisha. And I want to remind you at this moment that I feel with the authority of heaven that I get to do something of the same today. That I get to come through this camera today. And whoever is listening is under the sound of my voice now. I get to come with heaven's mantle, heaven's authority, heaven's cloak, his garment, God's garment, and put it afresh on you. Maybe you've never felt that, never known this before. Maybe you've forgotten it because of the, the heat of your situation, the, the length of your story. That seems like you've walked away for a long time. But I want to tell you, I believe today is a day of removing the garments, the cloak of shame, the cloak of heaviness, the cloak of despair. I believe it's the time of taking the cloak of mourning off and saying, heaven's call has been placed on again as the ultimate, ultimate thing for you to embrace in this season. Heaven's agenda is calling, and I'm declaring heaven saying, you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. And I believe it's not based on feelings or emotions. It's not based on even an apparent track record. It's based on our response and our faith to this call. And I believe we've got two options in this moment. We get to either shrug it off, strange, Shrug it off as some fire-filled fire redhead trying to G me up, or you receive it and respond to it as a word from heaven for you. And with that, I want to say, let's take us to how Elisha responds and what is required of us at this moment. 
three points from this text, and then the subsequent text that will follow. But we find, number one, that Elisha responds with radical obedience. Number one, radical obedience. You see, it says there, Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah. Elisha left the oxen standing there and then ran after Elisha. He left the oxen and then he ran after Elisha. You see, it's one thing to leave your past. It's another to run into your future. This is so huge for us. You see, I can imagine uh, for, for Elisha, the Bible tells Elisha, son of Shaphat, this is a, a farm, and it would have been Shaphat and son's farm holdings limited, and he would have been part of the family business, working his way up the ladder. His dad was probably getting ready to hand the business over to him, and when the Bible says there was 12 yoke of oxen, that means there was 12 pairs, so it's 24. It's like the equivalent of having 24 John Deere tractors. So this is a, a somebody with a big plot of land, with a lot of machinery and a lot of wealth probably at their, at their disposal. So there was a lot to lose for this man in responding this way. He had security, he had a future. And actually when he probably looked at Elijah's life, Elijah had spent the last portion of his life being fed by ravens and living in a cave. The modern day or the, the olden day equivalent of, of Uber Eats and uh, Airbnb. <laughs> ravens and a cave, not much security and job security for, for that line of work but he comes with radical obedience, leaving the oxen, running after Elijah. Now I want to say this moment, obedience, true obedience, is immediate, it's immediate, it's complete, and it's costly. True obedience is immediate, it's complete, and it's costly. And to lay a hold of our destiny, we have to let go of our security. For Elisha, for him to lay hold of his destiny, he had to let go of his security. Years ago, uh, when I was in matric, um, uh, I remember we went on this team building exercises. And I still don't fully appreciate or understand the, the purpose of them. But uh, I remember this one that, was, that filled me with fear. I, I'm a man who's not, not very good in the heights. I would rather keep my two feet on the floor at all times, if possible. And, uh, but I remember there was this one exercise that everyone had to complete for us to get pizza that night. And there was this one pole that stretched up miles into the sky. And then there was one rope, a rickety rope, a rope ladder going from that pole to another pole on the other side, reach high into the sky. And we had to climb up this ladder. And everyone had done it. And I'd reluctantly move myself to the back of the queue and then the back of the queue again and again because I, I really did not want to do it. My heart was beating faster. I was getting very nervous. And eventually I remember everyone calling me on, go Gabe, you can do it. Pizza will be ours tonight. And I remember climbing up the first pole and getting up to the top and I held onto that pole. And they said, okay, start walking across that rickety rope bridge. Do it, you can do it. And I remember saying, I'm doing it. And I put the first foot out. And then I was like, okay, this is good. We're making progress. And then I pushed the second foot out and, 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 and I was doing it. And then I, the call came, let go of the pole. And I said, I'm trying. I want to, but these arms aren't obeying. And I, and I remember this visual image because actually for me, uh, my, uh, my feet wanted to go. My, my stomach wanted the pizza. But my body wouldn't let go of the security here. Maybe it seems a bit trite and a bit simple, but I want to say this. That actually, I think too many Christians are wondering why they're not walking in the victorious promises and power of God. But it's because they're trying to make their way towards their future, but holding on to their security. To lay a hold of our destiny, we have to let go of our security. It is something huge for you and I because this is what the come boils down to. This is not something just to believe. 
It's something to follow. You see, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's not needing us to sign a petition on social media. He's not looking for us to declare our allegiance by sharing a page, sharing a post, liking a tweet. No, he's not looking for a cheap Instagram follow that's just going to fit neatly into the, the news feed of your life. Just Jesus in between all the other of my idols and expressions and likes and desires. No, he wants all of us. He wants radical obedience from us. And then when I read Jesus and I read his words, as I studied marketing, and I look at him and often I shake my head and I go, the way Jesus spoke, it seems like he needed a PR guy. Because just sometimes wanting people to come follow him and the things he said and called them to just didn't seem to match. You see, there was this one time a guy came and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And that seems like a good thing. And Jesus said to him, okay, cool. If you want to follow me, you first need to know this. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Basically, follow me, you might be homeless. Again, another guy came and said to him, I want to follow you, but first let me go and uh, bury my father. Jesus looked at him and said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. I can imagine the disciples cringing, going, oh, Jesus, that is just like, that's hard. They've got to soften the blow, Jesus. Put a filter on that or do something. Jesus wouldn't be talked down from us. Another guy came and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said to him, okay, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And finally, at a, in front of a crowd, we had this massive crowd in front of him, the crowd baying for his, his words and saying, yes, yes, tell us what to do, we're ready. And Jesus didn't take this moment to launch a campaign. He says this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. I can almost imagine, like if I was there, I'd be going, Jesus, that sounds so twilight and that's, that's so 2010. Like, uh, uh, Jesus, it just, it's, it's, it's horrific. And we're told that everyone except the disciples disappeared. They were uncomfortable, didn't know what to do with that because it demanded too much. But I want to say at this juncture that we don't dictate terms to God. We don't dictate terms to God. You see, I know for me, I often all say prayers like this, God, I will do if, if you do X, Y, Z. Or I say, God, I will step out, I will trust, I will do this when you. But that's not true radical obedience. You see, the shortest doctrinal statement in the Bible is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And here's the truth for you and I. He's either Lord of all or not at all. There's no middle ground for you and I. Church, there's no middle ground of holding on when he's called us to let go and follow him. You see, I believe this is so huge that when God speaks to us, easy ceases being good. When God speaks, easy ceases being good. Obedience is the only and the best practice. And the best way I've seen it put in a, in a recent time says this, the word of God doesn't support our agendas, worldviews, or ideologies. It creates them. Too many people approach the Bible looking for affirmation rather than transformation. I want to say in this moment, radical obedience is needed. Don't hesitate. Don't speculate. Don't, don't deliberate. Obey. Obey at this moment. You see, it's faith to step away from the familiar. Because to lay a hold of our destiny, we have to let go of our security. You see, Elisha, he burnt the plow. The scripture tells us in verse 21, he burnt the plow. He killed the oxen. He kissed his parents goodbye. That was the end for him. He completely destroyed the possibility of going back. And, and that got me thinking, got my brain thinking that I, I realized that actually we're caught hold. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to where you once came from. And I want to say that. I don't know who it is today, but don't go back. 
You see, when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, out of 400 years of slavery, and they were led to the, the banks of the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens before them. They walk through it victoriously, and then God closes the Red Sea behind them. It wasn't only just to kill the enemy behind them. I believe it was to stop them from ever going back. God knew their desires of their heart would be to return, but God says, I want to close that door because you were not meant to go back. I want to say right now, even if for you, your once was, your, I once was this, I once was that, I once was that. Maybe even your once was was just five minutes ago. I want to say, take this moment right now. Declare it on the chat. Shout it out loud. Write in your notebook. Do what you have to do to shout out, I am not going back. Because radical obedience is needed. Secondly today, not just radical obedience, ruthless determination. You see, between 1 Kings 19 where we get the call of Elisha, to 2 Kings chapter 2, where we next see Elisha's name, is 18 years. It puts lockdown into a bit of perspective. 18 years. And, uh, and the incredible thing is, there's just a one-liner that tells us what Elisha has been doing for those 18 years. No miracles, no sermons, nothing. The one line says this, he poured water on Elijah's hands. For 18 years, Elisha has been nothing more than a glorified hand sanitizer. That's what he's done for 18 years. And I can imagine for him, saying, often going, probably thinking, if I'm him, I would have been thinking, going, I was something back on Shafford Farms. I could have had it all. Oh, 12 yoke of oxen, I could have had the whole family farm. It was mine. But he doesn't do that. There's this ruthless determination. He does not leave Elijah's side. And it comes to head in chapter two of two kings when Elijah says actually three, uh, three times, I'm going to a different city. You stay here. Imagine after 18 years of following Elijah, 18 years of being faithfully there. And now Elijah's trying to seemingly push him away. Just stay, stay here. I need to go there. Elijah, Elisha gets this ruthless determination that refuses to go away. But in that moment, I wanted to say, maybe you feel like you've been told to stay there. You've been overlooked. You've been forgotten. You've been pushed aside. You've been used. I want to declare today, I'm not finished yet, but my offenses. My offenses. Be done with offense. Be so hard to be unoffendable in this season. This is, it's so easy to be offense, offended. But actually, we've got to choose actually like Elisha. No, no, I'm coming with you. I'm not going to bow. There's a ruthless determination in me. And the story continues where there's a school of prophets and uh, they come every time he refuses to, go, uh, to leave Elijah and keeps following Elijah. The school of the prophets come and they say, hey, do you know that your master's about to be taken from you? And they start to have the side, trying to pull him away into side agendas. And he says, I know, but be quiet. He refuses to engage with them. And as I read that, I realized that actually for you and I, the temptation in this season is to be involved in side conversations, to be involved in conspiracies and to fear talk. But I want to speak to you and I very practically here. A powerful thing is that just because it's true doesn't mean it has to involve you. Just because it's true doesn't mean it has to involve you. I, I, will, I believe that if you want the double portion, the double blessing, the future, we need to be single-minded. Ruthless determination. So with that in mind, I want to say keep giving. Keep serving. Keep showing up. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep showing up. Keep worshiping. Keep loving your family. Keep giving your best. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. A ruthless determination needs to grab a hold of our hearts. You see, the conversation between Elijah and Elisha comes to a head where Elijah turns to him and says, what can I do for you before I'm taken up? Elisha responds, 
Let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Elijah looks at him and shakes his head, I can imagine, and says, you've asked a difficult thing, a big thing. But he says, if you see me when I'm taken up, then you will get it. Now, this is where the story gets even weirder still. And I love the Bible. So if, uh, I, I love the fact, because no one could have actually made this up. It has to be true. It's, it's, it's so real. It says this, that the, the chariots of fire come down from heaven, drawn by horses of fire. And they separate Elijah and Elisha. And then it says, Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind into heaven. And as this is happening, his cloak falls out of heaven and lands on the ground in front of Elisha. The cloak that was put on him 18 years before now has finally been thrown at his feet in this moment after radical obedience and ruthless determination. Elijah picks it up and the mantle's his, the authority is his, the future now is his. Now, as we look at the story, chapter two to chapter 13 of two kings, as Elisha's story now takes over, he becomes the one, the prophet, the way that Israel looks to Elisha's story starts to pick up pace. Elijah, in his whole life, did eight major miracles. And as we start to read Elisha's life, we see one miracle after another starts to happen. Two, three, four, five, six. And he gets all the way up to 15 miracles. Elisha has done 15 miracles, one shy of the promised double that he'll get. And that's where we pick up this moment in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Kings 13 verse 14 says this, Elisha is about to die and the king of Israel comes to him weeping. So I, I can imagine the situation. Elisha knows he's probably lying there in his deathbed going, that one, the raising of the sun, the, 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 the prof, that prophecy, turning the water, making the water sweet. The, you know, he's just going through all the different miracles he's done. And he realized he's got to 15 going, there's one short. There's one short of the promise. But then the king of Israel comes saying, I've got a problem. And Elisha, with what little strength he's got left in his deathbed, goes, I've got a chance for the promise to be fulfilled. So this conversation between Elisha and the king happens, and Elisha says to him, you go and get the bows and arrows, to which the king does. He says, put your hand on the bow, which the king does. He says, open the eastern window, which he does. And then Elisha says, shoot the bow, which the king does because there's this demand for radical obedience. Elisha's lived it, now he's calling for it. Radical obedience. And he declares as the king shoots it, he says, an arrow of victory has been shot over your enemy, Aram, and you'll completely conquer them. It's wonderful. Setting himself up for what would be his final encore, his final miracle that will round out the double, the promise of God fulfilled in his life. The conversation continues though. And, Abraham, and, and Elisha says to, to the king, now pick up the other arrows and strike them on the ground. And this moment, the king picks them up, and the king looks at Elisha, wondering, what, well, this is a bizarre thing, but I'm gonna do it in faith. This is a guy, he's got a track record of miracles, I'm gonna do it. Radical obedience, and the king goes, one, bam, two, bam, three. And then puts down the arrows, looking expectantly. And this is when the text takes a turn. The text says this, at this, the man of God was angry. Why did you stop after three, he said. If you had struck the ground five or six times, you would have entirely destroyed them. You see, Elisha is fuming. He's frustrated at his lack of ruthless determination. And I want to suggest at this moment, before we, we dive in here, I want to say some of you may have been growing weary in the season, or maybe even nervous of asking of God. You feel tired. I've asked. I've seen nothing. 
I've asked, I've prayed and nothing's changed. I've waited, I've longed, I've trusted, but nothing seems to have changed. I want to say in this moment, would you keep on trusting God and strike the ground in faith? Will you keep on asking? Bam. Will you keep on seeking? Bam. Will you keep on knocking? Bam. Will you keep on tithing? Bam. Will you keep putting your CVs out? Bam. Will you keep on singing? Bam. Will you keep forgiving? Bam. Will you keep serving? Bam. And I'm not finished yet. Don't worry. Will you keep on asking God? Will you keep pressing in? Will you keep coming no matter what happens? Come, bam. 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 We won't relent until the Lord answers us. Because we're a people of radical obedience and ruthless determination. I'm not finished yet. Because as I read this text, I ask, it says, Elisha was angry. That word is angry, it's fuming, flaring nostrils. This is something that's got him really riled up. And I want to say, what makes a dying man so angry? Because Elisha knew he had done 15. And this man seemingly was robbing him of his double. This man right here was holding him back from working a 16th miracle that round out his life and the promise that God had. In the sense, he was saying, you are robbing me of the fullness that God had for my life. And maybe you're watching this. And I think for some of us that maybe you're saying, if only it wasn't for that spouse, if it only wasn't for that divorce, if only it wasn't for that sin, if it only wasn't for that boss, If it only wasn't for this nation, this economy, if it only wasn't for this virus, for this relationship, if it wasn't for that thing, I would have seen the promises of God. But you see, as we understand the Bible, that word when it says Elisha was angry, one of the next times we see that word angry in its original language written, it's about Jesus. And it appears in John chapter 11, verse 38, when Jesus arrives at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, it says this in verse 38, Jesus, still angry, flaring nostrils, fuming, frustrated. Jesus, still angry, arrived at the tomb. Why was he angry? In a sense, same emotions as Elisha, because Jesus had declared over Lazarus' story, this illness will not end in death. But seemingly, death had come and taken him against God's word. Jesus was declaring Lazarus was not finished Yet, you see, I love the story because it comes as you keep reading in 2 Kings 13 verse 20. This king only strikes it three times. Elisha's fuming. And then the next verse in verse 20 says, Then Elisha died and was buried. Done. 15. Seems like the promise of God failed. He was promised 16. He's promised double. But his circumstances has led to him dying without the promise seemingly being fulfilled. But he wasn't finished yet. I've told you today about radical obedience. I've told you today about ruthless determination, but I want to say I stayed up late last night praying and got up very early this morning praying because I did not come just to tell you those two things. I came to tell you the third and most powerful key of all is that we have to understand resurrection power. Resurrection power. You see, Elisha, he was dead. He was buried. It was too late. It was gone. It was done, it was over, it was finished, kaput, 15 miracles buried in the ground with the promises of God. And the battle continued around them. The Israelites fighting, 
the Moabites, fighting this battle. And the story tells us that actually a young man died, Israelite died in the war, and they did not know what to do with him. So they got him and they threw his dead body into an empty tomb, an open tomb. They threw it in there. But what they didn't know, that was that was the tomb where Elisha's body was buried. And the Bible tells us that as they threw him on the body, the Bible says, as they threw him on the body, as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, Oh, I love the Bible. It says, as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Oh, you see what's going on here. The moment he hit the bones, resurrection power was imparted. This is so massive for you and I. This is so huge right now. Because as I jump back to our man Jesus, who I'm rearing to tell you about. Jesus, when he arrived on the scene and he was this incredible teacher, a phenomenal teacher, his teachings irritated the religious elite. Then he started doing miracles, one miracle after another, and the miracles frustrated the religious elite. But when we get to John chapter 11, and he arrives angry at the tomb of Lazarus who's been dead for four days, and he comes in there, Jesus declares this, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He looks into the tomb and says, move that stone. And as his voice speaks to that dead body, he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, the dead man, came out of that grave in that moment. And the Bible tells us from that moment, the religious elites weren't just frustrated. They just weren't just irritated. It says they were fuming. They were angry. They were infuriated. And they plotted to kill him from that moment. The resurrection life of Jesus comes against the enemy's plans. It gets them going like nothing else can. I want to tell you, as we look at Jesus, we see in his life, as he went headlong towards the cross, radical obedience. He says, my will, and let, not my will, but yours be done. We see ruthless determination. As he says, by faith, he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then on Friday, he gets on the cross, and with his last breath, he says, it is finished. But I've been saying this whole time, I'm not finished yet. Can you imagine, that wasn't for the disciples how the script was supposed to go. It wasn't supposed to finish there. This wasn't supposed to be the end. The disciples are devastated. And if I use poetic license, I in heaven, the scriptures tell us that the angels were confused. This wasn't how it was supposed to go for them either. And I can imagine the silence of heaven as the angels, awestruck, mouth aghast, looking at the Father saying, what's going to happen? What do we do? And Friday ticked over to Saturday. And I can imagine amidst the silence, the Father getting ready and with a little smile on his face starting to appear. The father in the midst of silence, bam, hits it once. The enemy's rattled. What was that noise? Ah, never mind. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. Don't worry. They can rage in heaven. We've taken out the son of God, the only hope. But the father, bam, smile starting to broaden his face. Bam, he started to hit. Bam, and the angels started to join in with him, not knowing what was going on, but understanding the Father was at work. Bam, bam, bam. And a Saturday moved to Sunday, and the dead body of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God, was released to raise Jesus from the dead. The Father standing on his feet. Bam, bam, bam. 
Why? Because he was no longer counting the sins of men against him, but he was rather counting the many sons of will be brought and made alive and brought to glory. This is the gospel. This is the good news because on Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, never to be held again. And the Bible says that we were raised with Christ. Come on. I love this so hugely because Christ went to the grave for me, but also as me. And when He came out of the grave, He came out for me, but also as me. Because the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives, lives, lives in me. Present, continuous tense, not once was, but lives in you and me. So I say to you today, you don't know, sir, man, maybe there's some individuals here, you don't know how to pull yourself out from the grip of late night pornography addiction. I wanna tell you heaven is still striking resurrection power on your behalf. I want to say maybe you're here today and you don't know how your marriage is going to get out of the doldrums. You don't know how your marriage is going to ever live again. Heaven is still striking resurrection power on your behalf. Maybe you're watching today and you don't know how to turn from your solace and your depression. You don't know how to get out of that dark night of the soul. Heaven is still striking resurrection power for you on your behalf. You don't know a way out of your financial mess. Heaven is still striking resurrection power on your behalf. I declare today, you've been cut short. He's not finished yet. You say it's too late. He's not finished yet. You say you're too far gone. He's not finished yet. So today, though you might feel like Lazarus, you spent four days in a tomb. You feel like it's been 18 years. You feel like your life is so far gone. I speak with all the authority of heaven on your behalf. And I look down the lens of the camera into your home, into your life right now. And I say, dead man, come out of that grave. I declare it right now in Jesus' name with resurrection power. Dead man, come out of that grave. Shake off your grave clothes. Shake off the chains. Today is your day. You are not finished yet. I believe it. Dead marriages, come alive. Dead wombs, come alive. Dead CVs, come alive. Dead financial situations, come alive. Dead relationships, come alive. Dead faith, come alive in Jesus' name today. I believe it and I declare it. He's not finished yet and neither are you can we close our eyes in this moment with faith coursing through my body coursing in my bones calling the dead bones in your life to come alive right now as we close our eyes I believe in the simplicity of this moment that for this for the first time your body is starting to shake. Your body is needing, your spirit is, is, is knowing that there's something inside of this. You want to respond to this message, being pulled and drawn by the voice of heaven on your behalf today. Maybe you've been running from God and you feel I've run too far. I want to tell you today is your day for resurrection life. Today is your day for resurrection life. Do not delay another moment. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to believe in that moment sons and daughters will come alive in the fullness of His resurrection power. So one, you're not too far gone. Two, it's not too late. Three, He declares He is not finished yet. Why don't you lift your hands in your home? Why don't you click respond on the, on the lifechangeschurch.tv app? Why don't you tell us, I, I, I'm responding today on Facebook chat. Reach out in this moment. Respond, most importantly, to Jesus Himself because I believe as we respond in radical obedience with ruthless determination to not let go, His resurrection power will be poured out. I believe it in Jesus' name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, 
for what you're doing in homes now. Thank you, Jesus, for resurrection life, the life that is flowing in right now, that's breaking every chain, breaking every addiction, breaking every fear, bring freedom to the captives. Dead man, come out of that grave. Praise you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. As I land, Zechariah 9 verse 12 says this, return to your stronghold. Radical obedience, return. You prisoners of hope, ruthless determination. And I declare I will restore double to you today. Resurrection life. This is the gift that God gives you for you and I today that we receive by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.